thought that this is the last chance for maybe a whole family holiday, and so he convinced everyone to pack up the, the big dodge that we have and to drive across Canada from Ontario to Vancouver. Um, and so my earliest memories were from this trip, like sleeping in a tent trailer in a lightning storm. Like seriously, that's an event. Like the thing just shaking and rocking through the night. Um, me diving into every KOA campground pool that I could into the deep end, even though I was four years old and couldn't really swim yet. I was rescued repeatedly by my family. I remember some of those things. Um, so it, it was quite an, it was a month. It was a whole month that we took to, to travel back and forth across the country. Remarkable experience. And uh, so this uh, summer, I um, thought that it was about time. Our kids are getting older and thought, maybe this is our last, last chance to do some sort of family adventure. I was convinced that we needed to do, do something a little bit less safe, a little bit less comfortable, perhaps even a, a little bit dangerous. And so I, with some cajoling and convincing, talked my family into going on a road trip. And uh, it didn't actually matter where, I just wanted to go someplace a little out of the ordinary, and so we actually went to Yellowstone National Park. I, I've told some of you about this already. Um, it was awesome. It was filled with wildlife. I, I talked to my wife, who's more of a hotel girl, into camping in a tent on a blow-up mattress, and uh, it was remarkable. Let me give you a sampling of photos from our, uh, our, our trip. Let's uh, let, watch the screen. There's... Yes. Our first rodeo in Cody, Wyoming. Fun times. Our special home for six nights. Our best friends walking through the neighborhood. Our first geyser. That was right next to Old Faithful. Family bonding. Me choking my son once again. The Grand Prismatic Spring. Going to Yellowstone National Park is worth going there almost just to see this particular geyser that has multicolored. It's, it's gorgeous. Anybody been to the Grand Prismatic Spring? It's good, isn't it? Thumbs up? Yeah, it's all right. Anything else? Life after camping. Yeah, yeah, we booked ourselves into a nice hotel the day after we left Yellowstone, so just to survive, but holidays are great. It's also great to be home. I mean, September uh, is, is a challenging month uh, with startup of school. This month, it's not challenging that way at all. Um, but you see, holiday adventures are just one part of life lived well, and God is a much better, better dad than I am. And I, I see God as the dad who's inviting his family, saying, let's go on an adventure. I've got something good in store. Come with me. It's not exactly going to be safe. It might at times even be uncomfortable and dangerous. But it's going to be good. God takes us on this journey. And it's meant to be not like uh, you leave your home and your belongings behind. It, it's more like you, you walk with God in a... In a in a way in our everyday life, as Angel was just describing. Uh, that's, that's one of the reasons why we're going to be studying that, that series is we really do, as a church, want to become the kind of people who, where God is at everything and in everything and walking with us. So, so uh, I want to, just, just for two seconds here, I want to be like your father, and I want to I say, let's go on a road trip, people. Let's go on a road trip, Hillside. Are you, are you up for it? Are you ready to go? 
I, I, I don't know. I think it's going to be good. I think we're going to see some awesome things. And we're going to bond. And we're going to have some fun even. And God's going to do some things that are going to be really, really cool. Amen? Let's do it. Um, and so we're going to spend that, that next 10 weeks but, uh, talking about these kind of core areas of our lives. Today I want to think about this adventure that we're in together called church. Someone once said, vision leaks. And it's true. We forget why we're doing what we're doing. And it's good every once in a while to kind of refocus on, on what we are, what we're doing, and, and think about what we're doing as a church. Like, why are we here? Why do we gather kind of week by week? Why do we break into small groups and those kind of things? What are we trying to achieve? We don't really want to just tinker with the idea of church. We want to be the church, living life out as the body of Christ, this sacred gathering, uh, this, this holy people, this community of the called. And uh, this morning to help us think about this, I want us to turn to Acts chapter 2. There's uh, loner Bibles at the back if you don't have one. Acts chapter 2, the, about the fifth book in the New Testament, verses 42 to 47. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's word? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Have a seat. Um, now, there's no question that that picture of the early church that we read in Acts is a pretty compelling picture. It, it was a picture of a group of believers who were radically committed to God. What God told them to do, they do. They were devoted to prayer. They were devoted to obeying God. They, they were a praising people. They were a people that were sold out to God, and they were sold out to one another. When, when there were needs in their community, they literally sold their land, they sold their possessions, they cashed in their RRSPs, and, and they sold their property to meet the needs that were there. They, they met outside in, in large open-air gatherings because there was no room for the crowds inside. And, and they uh, liked meeting together so much that they met almost daily, and, and they couldn't let a week go by before they saw each other again, so they met in, in each other's homes. And I really like how the author of Acts describes this. He, Luke says, they ate meals together with glad and sincere hearts. Uh, you know what that means? It means there was no pretending. I mean, they were, they were sincere, they were authentic, there was no faking it. And so they said, here's the truth about me. You, you might as well know it. I've got this problem with my, my kids or with my spouse or, or with my job or, or, or with money, and, and I'm struggling with this. Can we pray about it? Can you, can you help me? Can we be in this together? And, and these people, they were so concerned with the plight of people that were outside the church, outside the community, that in spite of the risk of persecution... They, they sought to draw others in. 
they, they shared the gospel and they, they met in small groups and, and people were getting saved. And get this, verse 40, 47, they enjoyed favor, the, the respect of, of all the people in the community. And all of this begs the, the question, if, if such a, a faith community existed back then, why can't it exist today? Is God still not the same God? Really, this is the task here at Hillside, is to, to lay our lives down to build such a community like that, a community of, of God-honoring, uh, Christ-centered community. A community that loves God first, but as an expression of that love to God, loves others too. That we strive to become an, an inclusive, outreaching community, where, where the gospel is preached, where we, we become the kind of place where the generation gap shrinks and where cultural differences just shrivel up, where, where we become able to have a, a diverse group of people connect and relate, where lives and families are transformed by the power of God. Years ago, uh, I was challenged by the words of Bill Hybels, and, and in a sense, they're still ringing in my words, these, these, these words. Just become an Acts 2 church. He said, he said, just try to be an Acts 2 church. Don't try to be another church. Don't try to be a cool church or a hip church or even a big church. Just try to be an Acts 2 church. And so the question I want to think about this morning with you is just, what does it look like to live those Acts 2 priorities here and now, today? What might they look like here? I want to talk about five practices an Acts 2 church is devoted to. First of all, there's a sense in, in which an Acts 2 church has this kind of outward orientation. An Acts 2 church is missional. It's, it's a church on mission into the world. It reaches out, and as it does so, lives get changed, and the community is transformed. In verse 42, we read, And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved, those who were, were being made right, who were getting whole in God. Yet You see, a, an Acts 2 church produces followers who are filled with the truth of God, the Word of God, and, and the love of God. And, and it's filled with people who get to the place where they, they can't imagine their friends and their families and their neighbors going to eternity without God. They just can't imagine that. And, and they can't imagine the community they live in just remaining stuck in its broken condition. And so they reach out a hand. They maybe walk across a room and, and, and shake someone's hand. Maybe they walk across a driveway or a backyard, have a conversation over a fence or over an office cubicle. Or, or they roll up their sleeves and they literally get involved in the neighborhood working to make it a healthier place. Redeemer uh, Presbyterian Church in New York City, uh, pastored uh, famously by Timothy Keller, they become a church that really have adopted this outward orientation. In fact, they have a dream of transforming the city of New York. It's a pretty audacious dream. Uh, I think it's audacious enough that, that they just might pull it off. But this, listen to how they express it on their website. They said, we desire to be a church not for ourselves. This means we place the highest importance on the needs of those outside our church over our own comfort and preferences. It means we desire to serve our neighbors as much as each other. So what does this look like for us? Uh, I, I'd suggest just briefly three things. Um, again, building relationships with unchurched people. 
Like, like God has, has sent you out and placed you in a neighborhood for a reason. He's placed you in a job. He's placed you with contacts and network. And, and you're meant to be Christ's ambassador to that, that network. You're, you're meant to show them the love of God, not in a forceful, not in a disrespectful way, but, but you're meant to love people and, and uh, share with them what we found in Jesus, the, the good news, right? Uh, we'll hear about that more, more uh, fleshed out in a minute. Secondly, loving and serving our community in, in real practical ways, looking for needs and trying to meet the needs in our community. Uh, this is the inspiration in our partnering with organizations like Pregnancy Concerns who help young pregnant mothers or, or Journey Home Community that reaches out to refugees. It, it's the inspiration behind our, our work in the Wet Weather Mat program with the homeless. It, it's the inspiration behind our, simply our family film night. We don't do it to entertain your kids. In case you were thinking that might be the thing. Well, that's great. We have some wholesome entertainment to take our kids to. It's actually to, to, to entertain your neighbor's kids. That's the reason behind it. And why do we want to do that? We want to show them that we're kind of regular folk who like movies just like you do. We like having a good time and we love Jesus and we want to bless you. That's why we do the family film night. It's kind of crazy, but I think it's a good thing. We're seeking to serve our neighbors as much as we are each other. Thirdly, this becomes a, a real focus of our prayer life as well. This, this is September, and our prayer focus as a church in the last couple of years in September has been praying for our city. And our elders have emphasized this so that for one month, we as a church make it a priority to remember to pray for our neighborhoods, to pray for our cities, to pray for our community. Psalm 122.6 says, Pray for peace in Jerusalem. May all who love this city prosper. That's a prayer we can pray for our own community, our own neighborhood. We can say, we can pray for peace in Port Moody. May all who love that city prosper. God, bring your peace even to Pitt Meadows and Maple Ridge, that pagan land across the water, God. <laughs> prosper New Westminster and, and Burnaby. Lord, we love to see you pour out a blessing on Vancouver. And Lord, we love the Tri-Cities and Coquitlam and, and Poco. Lord, bless them. We pray that you will prosper those, those cities, God. Now help us think about how we might do this for our communities. I want to challenge you to commit to this. Um, our ushers are going to hand you out right now a, a pledge, a prayer pledge. And uh, I want you to take a look at it. But I want to say there's no one-size-fits-all prayer. I mean, sometimes when you don't know what else to say, I, you know, bless them, Lord. Bless them. But you see, there's all kinds of suggestions of what you could possibly commit to doing this month. For instance, I will pray five minutes each day for my neighborhood, for my community. Or I, I will pray, prayer walk in my neighborhood for 30 minutes once a week this month. If you don't know what prayer walking is, it's, we're, we're going to have some guidelines for that next week, some encouragement for you, but... Prayer walking is simply walking through a neighborhood and, and, and listening to God, praying to God, ask, asking him to touch the families and the, and the businesses as you walk, walk through. On, on September 20th, we're going to have a, uh, a hillside neighborhood prayer walk. We're going to gather together at four in the afternoon that day and uh, invite us just to, to sing a couple songs. And then as families and individuals, we'll, we'll walk this neighborhood. We'll just go out for a 30 or 40 minute walk and pray for the neighborhood surrounding our... It's kind of like kind of like Jericho, only we're not seeking the city's destruction, okay? That's the difference. Like we're walking around kind of claiming the land and saying, God, it's yours. 
would you bless this place and open them up to the kingdom of God? Like, like really, if you don't know any other prayers, the Lord's prayer really works. Your kingdom come, your will be done in that home there, in, in that business there, in that hospital. I would say, take, adopt a, a blessing strategy as you go driving or you're on the bus. When you see an institution of any kind, bless that institution, a hospital, a police station, a, a fire hall, pray for them and their work. When you hear a, a siren, a fire siren, use that as a call to prayer. When you hear an ambulance go by, pray for the healthcare workers that are, that are, that are attending to, to someone in need. And what about our schools and our education system? Couldn't they use some blessing right now? God, let's just pray for them right now. Lord, we pray for unity between our, our, those that are negotiating for this, this whole area of, of, of education and school care. And Lord, we just ask, sort it out, Lord. They seem unable to sort it out. We pray you would help them sort it out in Jesus' name. I pray for our, uh, our kids who are missing school. I pray for those who are stressed about that. I pray for parents who don't know what to do with their kids. I pray for teachers who are, are missing paychecks badly. And uh, I pray, God, you would sort this out by your grace and in your mercy. And all God's people said, amen. amen. So I want to encourage you, take this, uh, maybe think of three friends that you could, you could identify that you're going to pray for by name. Three unchurched people who, who really think maybe don't know Jesus, and you could write them down on this card. But I encourage you, take this card, take it seriously, do something with it, and let's be praying as a community for, uh, for our community this, this month of September. Does that make sense? Everybody on, on side? Good. So that's one key picture of the church. It's one of outreach of having this outward missional disposition. The second thing I see in this Acts 2 community, committed to, was what you might call discipleship. That's kind of a fancy term for following Jesus, learning his ways. It's, if if the, the first point, outreach, is, is sort of this outreaching image, this one is an upward-reaching image, kind of a God orientation of, of connecting with him, worshiping him. It says they were devoted what? To what? To to prayer, and to the, the word, the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to that. They were, they were so filled up with the word of God and discovering what it meant to worship God. There, there was someone that, that existed not so much to do their own thing, but to do God's thing. To Someone constantly in this posture of, of life surrender to God. You could talk a lot about what this looks like. I'd rather introduce you to someone who's on that journey of discipleship. I've asked Will Deng, Will, why don't you come on up here and share with us what following Jesus looks like for you. Will, uh, earlier this year, was invited by our denomination to go to a kind of discipleship boot camp, and so he's been thinking a lot about this, and so I think it's going to be great to, to hear what he has to share. Thanks, Will. Lou? Yes. Um, yeah, so as Derwin said, uh, I went to a camp in Alberta in June. It was seven days over there. Uh, it was titled The Way of Jesus, and I learned about seven centering statements to our faith as developed by the EMCC, which is our denomination. So Derwin asked me, what does it mean for me personally to follow Jesus? And, you know, I kind of took that as what do uh, these seven statements mean to me personally? 
I will try to illustrate how two of these are fleshing out in my life. The first statement go, goes like this. I have begun to follow Jesus, and I'm depending on his spirit in my journey. So to me, this takes the form of um, spending time listening and waiting on God at fixed times during the day. In other words, it's called the daily office. It, it started out pretty simply as shutting my eyes, being still and quiet, and literally putting my day on pause to enter into the presence of God. I didn't have to say anything other than inviting God to speak to me uh, or put people and places into my mind. And afterwards, I may pray about whatever comes to mind. What happened was that people and places that came to mind would stay there, and they would not go away unless I do something about them. So, for example, speak to this person about this issue or take my homework to this public place and work on it. I believe that's the way God speaks to me, but it is my continued bold little prayer that he would speak to me directly sometime. Um, well, this is the Lord. Sorry. Sorry. No, I can see you, so you're not no. the Lord. Uh, so, yeah, practicing the presence of God, as the uh, little book by Brother Lawrence goes, is one way of depending on the Spirit. Another way involves acknowledging that I do not know the best way of resolving an issue or completing a task and truly relinquishing control to God, who is the true master of whatever I'm trying to do and who knows the best way to pull me through it. I did this during my internship at uh, quite a busy pharmacy over the past summer. I'm a pharmacy student, just so you know. Uh, in a shorter version... I call it uh, surrender and give it up to God before he comes and snatches it away from you. Uh, the second statement goes like this. I'm being sent by Jesus to bless others and invite them to follow him. Jesus gave us the great commandment and the great commission, meaning that he made loving God and loving others inseparable, and he also left us with his obligation to tell his gospel. It is an area where I'm still developing that naturalness to weave Jesus into the conversation, but I can always learn to tell my own story well. So you've heard of I was blind, but now I see in John chapter 9. And in my own life, it's more like I used to be like that, but now I'm different because Jesus wanted it this way. I think if people don't find Jesus attractive after reading his gospel, they would at least find him perplexing. That goes the same for you. People may not care about the gospel or doctrine initially, but they do care about how far you're willing to go in your relationship with them. So that becomes your own um, bite-sized finger food gospel, a small taste of what Jesus' gospel can offer. A quote from a book called The Art of Neighboring says, We don't love our neighbors to convert them. We love our neighbors because we are converted. So do all your blessing and inviting out of love and allow Jesus to do the rest to increase his glory. It's humbling to speak of these things in front of the congregation when I'm still learning to do them effectively myself. But I suppose that's the point of journeying with Jesus, being humbled by him as he teaches you his ways of loving God and others and not giving up walking with him through all the seasons of life. Thank you.
That's great. Thank you, Will. I, uh, I appreciate you humbly sharing with us today. Um, I, uh, I have a hunch that God's got a special plan in Will's life, and uh, he's exploring what this looks like. It might even involve a move for him. And uh, his uh, parents, since uh, Will came to faith a couple of years ago, his parents have since come to Christ as well. And uh, it's very, very exciting what's going on in their family. So we'll keep uh, looking at what can happen. But you know what my hunch is? is as, as we learn what it means to follow Jesus, and as we begin to surrender our lives to him, and, and let him say, uh, literally say, I'm, I'm at your command, Jesus. I will do what you want me to do. I will go where you want me to go. Watch out. Because those are the kind of people signs and wonders begin to follow. God changes a world through people who are sold out to him and willing to follow him wherever he leads. So the first picture is outrage. The second is discipleship, following Jesus. The third is one of community. Jesus' prayer for the church was one, that they would be one. We're, we're talking about community, about, about oneness. Now, some of us, for some of us, our experience of church is not exactly oneness. We come to a service, and we kind of go our separate ways, like what was found on an actual church sign. We care about you. Sundays, 10 a.m. only. That's not exactly like the Acts 2 church that gathered in others' homes with gladness and sincerity of heart. An Acts 2 church is the kind of place where people stop pretending. They become interdependently woven together. They're radical in their love for one another. An Acts 2 kind of church is not the kind of place where you keep your problems to yourself. I've, I've been to a lot of churches like this where, where you'd have to be dying before you admitted to somebody that you had a problem. Churches like that never experience oneness. Now, oneness isn't about having intimate, interdependent relationship with everyone. It's about connecting with a smaller group where there can be intimacy and there can be genuine caring and accountability. That's why we stress small groups so much. It's a place for that kind of relationship. Um, You've heard the challenge already this morning, so I'm not going to reiterate it. Join a group, people. Just join a group. We'll we'll do what we can to hook you up, and and we'll keep trying in the years to come. and, And... Find something that fits for everybody. There'll be different seasons for different parts of your life, and we hope we can help you with that. But I want to say that this is the kind of thing, authentic relationship, that has been keeping me up nights this summer. As I've been praying for our church, this is the stuff I'm dreaming about. You know, our elders are are thinking about ways we can encourage you to do what? To have real friends here. And so our, our desire in the months to come is to lay out, to roll out a an approach to our community where not only where most of us are in a, in a small group or a mission task force or something in the church, we're going to actually form little tiny groups of four or five individuals, men's groups and, and women's groups, that are meeting once a month to do one thing, to talk about life and experience authentic friendship. Not talking about the Canucks, not talking about the latest trends, talking about What's going on in your life? What are you mad, sad, glad about? What's really going on? And we have a desire to to see that roll out in the months to come. We believe that the kingdom of God moves at the speed of relationship. And and I believe our our discipleship experience is going to happen as we connect and relate to one another. 
And so I, I'm going to encourage you to, to, to think about that. We'll, we're going to be uh, laying that out in, in the months to come. But uh, that's supposed to happen in the church. I, I believe God wants to see an explosion of authentic, growing, and healthy relationships here at Hillside. It's my vision. Fourth area, servanthood with spiritual gifts. Mark Warren talked about this for a few weeks ago. I'm not going to belabor this, but the idea here is, is having a towel, a serving towel over your arm and saying, I am here to serve. You know, the Apostle Paul, he starts a lot of letters with, with something simple like this. He's saying, you need to know two things about me, my name and my fundamental identity here on planet Earth, which is I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I'm a servant of Jesus Think for a moment, what if every one of us here in, in this fellowship had a, a serving towel over our arms and entered every area of church life and said, I, I'm here to serve? Uh, you know, it's kind of funny. We're uh, in Yellowstone, as I mentioned, and one day we're at what they call the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. I'd heard of Old Faithful, but I'd never heard of the... Let's take a, take a look at the picture. It's this remarkable place beautiful waterfalls, all this kind of thing. We're, we're, we're st- stunned by this vista and this beauty. But it was kind of funny. That's the first time I saw what they called a selfie extender. There were people standing at the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone with these rods, with their cell phone attached, taking pictures of themselves with the vista in the background. And they're like uploading it, you know, with really cool hashtags, I'm sure, online right from the park. I thought, what is that all about? The reality is we're all up into this these days, these selfies, taking pictures of ourselves. Just type selfie into Twitter, and uh, you'll see what I mean. Uh, Or look at Instagram, where 90 million pictures are currently posted with the hashtag me. 90 million. Now, again, I'm not against uh, taking selfies. I take a few, but it reminds me that we live in a self-absorbed, self-obsessed culture. It's our way of life. There's a, this focus on me. And in many ways, this gets transferred to our, our church culture. Like, what can you do for me? Feed me. Love me. Straighten out my life. Me, me, me. It's actually totally unbiblical. But instead, if you've got a people that are saying, a community of people that are saying, how can I serve? That's the kind of community that can literally turn the world upside down. That's the kind of community that can change the world. Are you serving? Are you serving, folks? I think we look most like Jesus when we serve. One last picture. Um, you know what it says in Acts 2? There was a release of resources that were prompted by the Holy Spirit. That the mark of an Acts 2 church is that when the Holy Spirit gets a, a hold of a church, generosity is released in the lives of its members. When the, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of a church... Uh, values change and, and stuff doesn't matter so much. Having stuff doesn't give as much joy as, as caring for the poor and as resourcing the church and helping ministries grow. I, I, I received a note uh, a while back that I've saved. It, it was really a note meant for, for the whole congregation. And uh, it was a note from someone in the community who had received some bags of groceries from us in a time of need. And this is what they said. Thank you, in bold, bold letters. I can't express on paper how much your church has meant to me in the time of need. I had been praying to God to help me figure out a way to feed my son till I got my next pay ten days from now. He led me to all of you. Thanks to everyone that made this possible, from the people that donate the money 
to the people that deliver and buy the food. Thank you. I mean, doesn't that stir your heart? I mean, honestly, isn't that better than having the latest and greatest thing? And and you know what? If if an entire church body are are all submitting this area of their lives, giving their their full tithe and saying, have your your way, Lord, with the money that you've entrusted me me with. You're, You're in charge of my money, God. Once that happening and resources start growing, watch the church just get stronger and stronger and stronger. We got this cool thing. Our elders really are looking for, to really test this thing out. But when we pay our bills, our staffing and our, our missions commitments and, and the, the, the things we support, when we paid all that, if we are over our budget in any given year, it all goes to these great things. It goes to more mission goes to community outreach. It doesn't go into to build a bigger church or, or those kind of things. It goes to, to blessing our community. We, we're really looking forward to the day when we can really take that out and give it some gas. And that'll happen as people, as we become an Acts 2 church and learn that gift of giving. Those are just five pictures of an Acts 2 church. What, you know, I'm aware that we have a long way to go. I am so encouraged by the hints and signs of health in our church and, and the fact that we're becoming more and more like an Acts 2 church. We see it when, when unsaved people come to know Jesus. I think of, of Will. I can remember the first Sunday that Will came to our church and the journey he was on and him coming to Christ and, and, and that whole thing. That's what this is about. I, we see it when someone, uh, you know, commits to wanting to know him more and, and begins to a journey of, of getting into to community, getting into a small group, starting to crack open the, the Word of God and devoting themselves to a life of prayer. Um, we see it when people become more authentic and, and real with one another. We see it when it, we have a diversity of culture. Look around, folks. There's this growing diversity at Hillside of culture. It's a beautiful thing. Um, more than half of you, I think, were born outside of this country. We see it when people start taking risks and start serving and stepping out in new ways. I, I was talking to someone at the wedding yesterday from Hillside who is going on our mission trip to Kenya, and they're a senior citizen, and uh, they're going to be the oldest person that's ever gone on our, one of our mission trips. At the same time, we've got one of the youngest people ever going on our mission trips on the same team. That's a picture of the church, this intergenerational, but stepping out, taking risks, doing something you've never done before, even though it's scary. And we talked about it at the table. We said, what, what's the worst that can happen? And, and, and she told me how her daughter said, well, if you get shot in Kenya, it's more interesting than getting shot in Surrey. <laughs> it's true. Way better story. We see it when people start trusting God with their money. I, I've, I've, uh, I remember uh, every once in a while somebody will come to me and say, can you pray for me? I'm going to start tithing today. And it's scary. I don't know if I'm going to pay the bills. But I, they, they, they put something in the offering plate that they go, I've never given anything to an organization like this before. And they come back a few weeks later and say, God's been blessing my socks off. When people start doing that, uh, the church begins to grow and explode. Can I jump back to Bill Hybels for a moment? He's the one who said, just be an Acts 2 church. He said something else that stuck with me as well. He said, there's nothing like the local church 
when the local church is working right. There's nothing like the local church. There's nothing like it. There's nothing else. I don't think there's any organization like it that can transform our culture. I don't think there's anything like it in the world that can deal with issues like poverty and and injustice. There's nothing like the local church when the local church is working right. We see eternities changing right before our very eyes. What greater buzz is there than that? And and you know what? Our church has the capacity to be an Acts 2 church. Uh, our, Our church can become like that church. All heaven is is cheering us on. We can do this. It will not happen without an enormous amount of prayer, without this, this solid devotion and dedication to God and to His purposes and to this hard work. But it can happen. You know, Angel shared with us just a, a couple of weeks ago, this in closing, she shared how, how uh, Mary and some of the other women were on their way to the tomb and they were worried on the way about who would roll the, the stone away. And uh, they were in for quite a surprise. And, and that's been a metaphor for me this summer. I've been thinking about that, how easily I'm contented with just the stone being rolled away in my life, the obstacle that's in front of me, getting through this day. And uh, I thought, I, I wonder if some of us are, are quite content with a church where we're just happy to be kind of cheerful. Um, we're a, a safe place to come and connect on Sunday morning, uh, shake your hands. We got a lot of acquaintances uh, maybe we're content with keeping the organization afloat. Um, hey, as long as we're paying the bills, maybe we can do a little good. I think God has so much more for, in store for us than that. He has resurrection in store for us people. He wants to transform this place into a, a, a God-blessing enterprise like nothing we would ever imagine or believe could be possible. Can't even put it into words. Resurrection is all I can think of. He's got resurrection in mind for you. He's got it in, in mind for Hillside. Let's, let's believe him for that. Let's believe that he can use us to transform a city, a whole region for him. We've seen what he can do in Kenya. Let's, let's trust that he can do it here and now. Dave. Yeah, please do. Dave's uh, one of our elders. This one's sorry. Sorry, dear one. I, uh, yeah, I just I just want you to know before uh, the the service today, we were praying, and your uh, there's a prayer meeting in Derwin's office to which you're all invited, by the way. But uh, love to see that uh, impossible to get into on a Sunday morning. But anyway, uh, Angel had a picture of uh, a small wheel as as part of a cog in. Lots of bigger and bigger and bigger wheels, right? Uh, this little small wheel, she felt that, uh, well, she didn't just said she didn't know what the picture meant. I don't know if I know what the picture means, but it may have something to do with this. You may feel like you're, that God is prompting you to do, maybe you can't do these big things or some of the big things that uh, we're talking about, but there's this little thing that God in your spirit is, is prompting you to do. And maybe uh, that's the little wheel that needs to turn for the big wheels to start connecting and moving. And I just want you not to, not to uh, scorn that thought or that prompting, but do that little thing, and you have no idea what, what you may be empowering and uh, beginning to move. So I think it's in line with what you were saying, Derwin. Yeah, 
leave it with you. Thanks. Thanks, Steve. Wow. That's a good, good way to note to end it on. Um, why don't you stand uh, together? We're going to go have a picnic in a minute, and it's going to be great. We're going to connect and, and encourage you to look in the bulletin. It tells you where to go in Blue Mountain Park, King Albert there, and Nelson is kind of the nearest intersection. But uh, that's, that's happening in a moment. Let's, let's just ask that we might all do our part. I, again, uh, I, I love that picture, and we, you don't have to do everything. All of us can do something. All of us can do something. We all have something. Let's learn to give what we have and, and together become the kind of community that might just be a little bit resemblance of the early church in Acts 2. Wouldn't that be awesome? So uh, this morning, God, we, we want to be serious about your mandate to make us into the kind of church that will change the world and bless you and see your kingdom come in our city and in our world. God, I, I, uh, we don't want to put limits on it, Father, what you might do through us. Lord, this morning, I, I believe you're asking some of us to, to once again surrender our lives to you. To, to say it's yours. You can have my heart. You can have my stuff. I'll, I'll give you, God, my money. I'll, I'll, I'll put it all, I'll follow your lead wherever you want me to go and whatever you want me to do. I surrender again. Lord, I, I know I might fail tomorrow. I, I'm a selfish person, but uh, I, I, I choose to put a flag in the sand today saying, I am going to follow you. God, we want to be that kind of church. We want to be the kind of church where people are, are learning what it means to be outward in their orientation, like reaching out and loving on our neighbors and blessing the people we bump into and, and the community that you love. Lord, I, I know you want us to grow in our capacity to understand your word and, and what it means to to pray, and, and Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to, to love your word and become disciples of you, God. Lord, teach us what it means to be a community together. Lord, we pray that your prayer for oneness would be answered here at Hillside. God, we, we ask that you would help us. Lord, we are a me-oriented culture, and we are infected with that, God, and we pray you would teach us what it looks like for each of us to serve and to be a body where, where all are functioning and doing their part. And God, we pray again, teach us to give, to be generous with our time and our money and, and our resources, that, that Lord, there would be no unmet needs in our, in our community. And God, we begin to see a, a release of, of generosity like we've never seen in any season of this church ever before. God, we, uh, we believe these are kind of big, hairy, audacious goals that are impossible without you. And so we pray, God, you would become bigger and bigger and bigger in this place. And that our eyes would be on you. And that you'd do more than we could ever ask for or imagine. And it would be all for your glory and your fame. We pray these things. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. God bless you. Um, we have...